Bonjour, everybody. Welcome to another installment of Show to V with Mike G, the show of life, the show of early 1990s Austin Blues guitar playing, the show of playing shows six nights a week and having all the time in the world to live your life like a playboy. And that playboy today is my wonderful guest, John Garrett. Met John a few years ago now. He's one of the first people I ever talked to in the distribution tier of the Texas liquor industry. He's insightful, he's funny, he's way laid back, has a radio voice, and if nothing else, John has been incredibly influential in shaping the cocktail culture in Texas, but also bringing in to Texas many of the wonderful tools, whether it's a mezcal, whether it's a vermouth, but many of the wonderful tools that lots of us use every day. So this is a great one for me. I'm glad John came down to Austin just to chat with me. We sip some rum, some Panamanian rum. It's quite lovely. But I hope you enjoy my conversation with John Garrett. Well, I, I do remember uh, hating singing because it was so... It's so uncomfortable. It's incredibly uncomfortable. Like, just like, this isn't natural. No, it's not. And what you're saying being totally circulated through your own earphones, too. Yeah. In this case, with no music either. So it's just like pure vocal John Garrett. Raw. Right. (laughs) Uh, I don't want to go back and sing ever again. (laughs) Wait, so all I know of what maybe existed of a musical career for you is a picture of you and a strat. Was it a strat or a telly? I think it was a strat. And you had like long kind of hair. Well, not long, but like real slicked back hair. Looked like you should be in the Thunderbirds or something. <laughs> I definitely had uh, I definitely had super long sideburns yeah. all the way down to like some lamb chops. Some chops. Which I think my mom probably was just like, come on. <laughs> uh, and I, my hair is only always done one thing, which is just go back. Really? And, and now it's just falling out. So it's, you know, it's Not just so going bad. back and falling out. But it had to have fared well for you in the 80s. Because that slick back hair, that's the Michael <laughs> Douglas, Gordon Gecko thing. It was, uh, I mean, f- growing up in Dallas, Texas, it was cowboy boots. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, with the music I was into, it was, you know, a wife beater and, uh, right. and, uh, and, and fucked up cowboy boots. And it was all about tellies and stratocasters so pure rock goodness so when you talk about like the music that you're into what i because i you know it's funny it's like yeah we both like mezcal but but that never translates yeah so guys that drink jaeger i'm pretty sure they listen to slayer that's like easy (laughs) to come by right but like i have no idea what kind of music you're into uh these days none but um which is a little unfortunate but i grew up um so growing up in Dallas, my dad had an office 
off uh off Harry Hines, which is a yeah. pretty seedy yeah, very street. Seedy. And let me tell you, back in in my day, when I was younger, it was super seedy. Even worse. Even worse. But in his business, all he needed was an office and a landline, mm-hmm. and back then probably a fax machine. And it just happened to be that his office was right above Charlie's Guitar Shop. Oh, cool! Which was is a legendary place. If you've if you've seen pictures of Jimmy Vaughn or Stevie Ray Vaughn, right, always, always have, in there, like, right? Always have those Charlie's Guitar Shop. Gotcha, gotcha. T-shirts on uh, when and so. A guy named Mark Pollock owned it, and he just passed away last week, unfortunately. But were you guys, did you know him? Yeah, he probably freaked yeah, yeah, out yeah. A lot, right? He sold me my, you know, first guitars no and kidding. all that. And uh, so, anyways, sometimes I'd be at my dad's office, you know, for hours on end if my mom had something to do when I was younger, and I'd go downstairs and I'd see like limousines pull up, and like Clapton would get out. Oh shit! Or Jimmy Vaughn would get out, and, or you know, I saw Slash get out. And, no like, all these, shit. Wow. All these guys. So, but the real deal that was going on there and the sound in Dallas at the time was blues. Yeah. And so I got really into a lot of blues and that's, uh, that's all I did until, uh, you know, for, for over a decade. When did you start? How old were you when you started playing guitar? Um, no teenager young eight, teenager great or something i got oh, some yeah. shit guitar for like you know 20 bucks harmonies it was <laughs> i think it was like a mako i don't even know what, don't even know <laughs> what that is but it looked like a stratocaster and yeah you know my parents were cool they get they got me guitar lessons and they dragged me there once a week and i kind of mm-hmm. learned how to play and then you know i did uh i did what you had to do you had to you had to practice you had to stay home and yeah and uh i spent a lot of time practicing and um did you spend like uh, so thinking about? Because I think about this when I was like, oh, I was in my basement playing guitar. Because that's how fucking was. I was yeah, in my basement. Yeah. Good when I moved around a little bit, so I have like a lot of friends. But was that what Friday night was like for you? Where it's like, actually, I'd rather just stay home and play guitar. It got to the point. Like, I mean, I was pretty social yeah. going out and with friends and stuff. But it got to the point where, um, I couldn't wait to go back. Yeah. And 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 I and I enjoyed. I think I enjoy um, the process of like suffering a little bit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love the hard work, right? Like that you're hard, willing, you're willing to put the time in. I'm right? willing to put the time in because none of it came natural. Yeah. I really don't have any natural. Did talents. your parents, your dad, play your mom? Nobody, player? nobody. So you just and like you just, saw the people walking out of the guitar store, like that works for me. <laughs> that works for me, and I, you know, and listening to music, my dad always played you know, either country or blues and, um, and, and, you know, in the scene in Dallas at that time was, can you give me like kind of a, like what years are we talking? So I don't know. Um, what late eighties or late eighties. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Late eighties. And like, you know, it was all about, um, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimmy Vaughan and Thunderbirds and all that stuff was like heavy. Right. And then you had, you know, the guys here in Austin, like Doyle Bramhall and, and all those guys, and mm-hmm. uh, it was a heavy sound. It was a sound that, like, was for a Texas guy was was pretty was pretty great. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and so I got real into that. And of course, I wasn't really playing that kind of music. I mean, I was listening to it and right. And practicing. You were trying to play, trying to. <laughs> yeah. And then, like in high school and stuff, I was in uh, 
you know, really bad bands. And we'd play like the battle of the bands at high school. And We've all been there done. Yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. But it, it gave you that taste of like being on stage and, yeah. and dealing with those nerves of like, we have a show coming up and right. like, it didn't matter how bad we were in high school. It was a, it was a huge experience. Yeah. And, uh, and once you tasted that, you can't get enough of it. The next morning you're on cloud nine. You're like, when are we doing that again? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, and so, you what? What did you do to get that feeling again? You had to go practice. Yeah. And uh, and so, it's like, I guess it's like drugs. It's like, wow, that feels good. How do I do that again? Well, you got to go get more. Right, right. And so, um, the only way to get more and get back on stage was get the songs right and get, get the another gigs. gig. So, so did you? Were you playing covers or were you doing originals? No, or? we never. I never played in any situation where we played covers. Oh, that's un- killer. Unless it was a band that like, hey, let's do this song for fun and right, play right. or something. So, we were writing songs, you know, in in high school and early high school and stuff. Yeah. And and uh, <laughs> you know, did that become like how, how did the girl thing factor in? Because like for me. Being an awkward, some semi-social dude who played guitar but wore big jeans, <laughs> I, it, it yeah. never like worked out for me. Like no matter what band I played in, despite what people think, like never yeah. was it about the girls because they I just it never I was, never worked for me. Yeah, I don't think uh, like girls are into like musicians who are. Oh, you're playing fuel. You're <laughs> good, or you've gotten somewhere. Like, yeah. they didn't really care about us jamming, and you know, in like my friend's parents' upstairs bedroom. Right, that right. wasn't sexy at the time. <laughs> but you know, it did have some mystique, and it definitely got you somewhere. Yeah, you know, on Friday nights, so. somewhere. I love it. Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so there's something to it. Something to it. So did you pursue it once you got out of high school? Because I mm-hmm. presume you went to high school. You grew up in Dallas proper, like the whole time? I grew up in Dallas. Um, had a great childhood. My dad worked his ass off. And my mom raised us at home and, yeah. and provided a good home. And I had a I had a, a genuinely fantastic childhood. That's crazy. That's and, great. Uh, That's great. Yeah, it's Almost great. atypical sometimes, you know, because you're people like broken homes, yeah, divorces yeah, and stuff. Yeah. You know, you, your parents have their ups and downs and stuff, and that's yeah. life. And now that I'm at this age, I get it, and and, and that's normal. But, uh, you know, my dad provided us, a, you know, looking back, you know, I think about, like, now that I have kids, I think, yeah. like, those are the things, like, I understand what he was up to back then. Like, right. But probably not then, but now you're now totally I, clear, now I'm right? super clear on what he was up to. He was getting me out to his hunting lease to go hunting on the weekends. Yeah. How to, you know, we had to uh, or go to the lake or something. And he was keeping me out of trouble. Yeah. That's yeah, what he was yeah. doing. And, uh, and so that's how we, and, but it was, it provided me a, an extremely freedom filled life, lifestyle when yeah. I was a kid, like. And I grew up in a neighborhood where, you know, I think we maybe all did it back in the day. It was very freeing. I mean, I could leave at eight in the morning on my BMX bike and come back at sundown and nobody right. had a problem with it. Like, cool, you're home. Good deal. Yeah. yeah. And so that, you know, so I was, um, I feel lucky to live in that time. How do, is it, is it like, so I talk to parents often, I'm, you know, personally, I'm not a parent, but I grew up in the same thing, was exploring discovering showed up at sundown rode my bike to work or excuse me rode my bike to school 
is it different now with your kids? Like if they wanted to live that kind of like adventurous, they they're not allowed to do leave it, right? my eyesight. <laughs> uh, but you know, yeah. me and my wife talk all the time about like, how do we provide that? Right. And then it's, uh, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. And why is it, why is it different? Because the, if you look at the numbers and stuff in terms of like, got to get dark for a second, but in terms of kidnappings and murders and stuff, it's not really changed that much. No, it's but just, we've changed. We know we've changed. This yeah. society we we know more, we see more and and there's too much there's too much um I guess just media about things. Yeah. So you just we're just living in a little bit of harder thought process world, yeah. you know. Too so, much info. Almost. Too much info. We don't like, have the the benefit of ignorance. Like for I anything. didn't know if anything happened two miles from my house when I was fifteen you know, ten or fifteen yeah, years old. Yeah. Like you had to wait and to hear about it. Sure. And, uh, and so anyways, yeah, I grew up in Dallas, had a great childhood, went to high school, got real into music and, um, thought I was going to be heading up to Colorado. I was super into snow skiing. Oh, no kidding. And, uh, and I was like, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to try to get good at skiing and, 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 and try to race and things like that. Is this after high school? Like when you get up? During high school. Oh, really? Okay. And, uh. Had you ever been up there ever? Yeah. I spent. Dude, Texans like if there was a three day weekend, I drove to Colorado to go yeah. skiing. Yeah. Oh, cool. I just went there constantly. And you were a skier, not a snowboarder. Skier, yeah. Well, they yeah. didn't really think they had snowboards. Probably back then, not. Really. Yeah. And uh, and I got coaxed in by some other friends to uh, to go to college at Texas Tech. Why the? Which fuck? was so fucking <laughs> bizarre for me. <laughs> And I don't know why, but I agreed. I said, okay. But just because friends of yours were going up there, that made yeah, it make it some sense? It was just like a really or... bizarre, I don't know what like I was going through at that time of my life or yeah. what, but like one way or the other, I made the decision to not go. I was going to go to Gunnison yeah. go to College in, in Crested Butte and mm -hmm. be a ski bomb. And next thing I know, I'm driving my truck out to Lubbock. Lubbock. Oh. And I got there and was unhappy instantly. Instantly. I think I was there. I don't even think I was there a year. I called my parents and said, "I'm gonna breeze through Dallas on my way to Austin." Yeah. And uh, and I'm not going back to school. Oh <laughs> shit! Mom, so you you were done first year. I was done. I just oh I didn't even go. Let's be honest. I, yeah. I got to Lubbock, and that's about what happened. That was what it was like. I got classes scheduled, but I can't <laughs> yeah. even make it. So out. I yeah. sat in my dorm room and practiced my guitar and yeah. And, um, it was there's only bad things to do in Lubbock. I mean, there's because there's nothing to do. So yeah, be like, like prejudiced, go to class, yeah. punch a guy, drink this, take this, and you know there's some fields out there if you freak out. Right. You know? <laughs> and so it was a uh, it was not the uh, not the greatest you know eight months or a year of my Were life. Were you even like stoked on going to college in the first place? No. 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 So I'll, you just like kind of they kind of coaxed you some friends, coaxed you to go to Lubbock. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, you know, I think I, I think like having a nice upbringing, I kind of felt like it was the right thing to do sure. for my parents. Yeah, because you, you know? have some moral sanity. Like, yeah, some I mean, I'm yeah. a, I'm a pretty, I, I feel like I'm a halfway thoughtful guy. I'm sure, like, my sure. parents provided me with this, the least I can do. I mean, they're offering to pay for me to go to college. Yeah, like, I should humor the idea. At maybe least, I should right? go humor this, yeah. but I was never an academic, and I never was really into school and stuff, yeah. and um, so. I humored it for a little while. Yeah. And uh, and that was about it. That was it. And, <laughs> and so you said you trekked your way up to Austin? Well, I just was like, if I'm going to get serious about music, 
no better place. You know, right? I'm not I'm not going to New York or LA or yeah, something like yeah. that. So went home, told my parents, and I just said, "Hey, I'm going to book it down to Austin and see what happens." What they what they say? Was it was I don't know. <laughs> they didn't say much. I think my mom Which is the worst sometimes, right? It is the worst, man. I think my mom teared up a little bit. My dad was just like, "Look at your mom crying." <laughs> yeah. Which you know it's funny because that's the way of like not having to say how you feel. It's yeah. like, "But look at them. They're yeah. so sad." Like, it's look at that. It's the worst. It so, is terrible, yeah. But it didn't stop you, imagine. It didn't stop me. And you know, and and they ultimately at the end of the day they were cool about it, but they helped me out. I mean, they were they were really cool. They helped me out. I got a got a little apartment close to campus so that I didn't UT? even yeah, over over by UT a little mm-hmm. bit and um and just started practicing more because I had this I had some free time yeah and and um and I started getting better and uh to a point where like oh man I I might be a formidable well, guitar player. well I got to the point where I was like maybe maybe I should go down to some of these blues jams yeah. that they have like these, these open sit in type situations where like on Sunday night, there's a house band and you could bring your guitar and like they would, you would, you know, you could pop up for two or three songs and do some standards. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, you could either, you know, sing or you could sit in on the guitar or whatever. And, and you know, there's a bunch of guys in the audience that all came in. It was just a jam session. That's cool, right? though. Doing, Do you remember any of the spots you played back then? And when when, when yeah, was this? I'm thinking like what? It's like, like 92, 93, Yeah, 94. it's a totally different deal then. But so, I bet some totally. of the same places are still around. Yeah, I mean, back then, I mean, the original Antones was over on Guadalupe still. Yeah, Over yeah. behind uh, uh, Ruby's Barbecue. Yeah. That's still there. Oh, cool. And um, yeah, there's like all these little crummy blues bars like joe's generic bar and the black cat was there and stuff black like cat that. oh yeah and uh and so one so i mean i was just went in one night you know had like 17 beers and was like <laughs> trying to get up the nerve to be like you know put my name on the list right and right they call your name and you got to get up there and you know there's people in the audience that are good you know right and uh i hopped up there and played a few standards with the band and was like got home kind of freaked out and then i was like i'm going back <laughs> you know and so addicted like you said man yeah. it's the drug right you have to get back up on stage and so uh started going back kind of week after week at these different blues jams and then felt you know started meeting some guys around town yeah yeah and uh ended up getting in with a group of guys and ended up you know i, I just did that slog of i played six nights a week holy shit are you kidding me at uh on sixth street playing blues, uh, you know, three sets a night from like seven to one thirty in the morning. Wow. For like, you know, 25 bucks and all the beer you can drink. Right. And I did that for like two years solid. No kidding. And Were just, you playing lead too or just rhythm uh-huh, or both? Both. I mean, it was just, you know, it, was a, <clears throat> it depended. I mean, you know, the bands that I was playing with, like if there was one guitar, you were everything. And if there's there two, you swapped yeah. out leads, you know? Very, and, yeah. Very, very. And we were in, you know, going back to covers. I mean, that's back in the day where you just, you played standards. Yeah. You played all the little blues classics. And, and that's where I, that's where I really cut my teeth and, and had some great nights and got my ass kicked some nights. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, what were you up to during the days? Were you working or were you No, I was pl- making en- I was making enough to get I was making enough to pay for this really shitty apartment uh-huh. and live like 
you know, you get home, you sleep, you wake up at noon, you like go downstairs and have a slice of pizza and a Coke for like, <laughs> right. you know, $3. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by then it's four o'clock and, you know, after you've practiced a little bit or, you know, got high or whatever you're going right, to do. Right, and, right. And, uh, and then you're like, well, we got to go load in and then you go load in at the club and, you know, inevitably you've got a few hours to kill and yep. you're just on sixth street. So you end up having a couple of beers. Couple of beers. And, it's just like this long, monotonous lifestyle, just day after day. But I mean, most people aren't playing, you know, five or six nights a week. Yeah, so. that's like so that, fully into it. Yeah. So that was all I had time to do was sleep and make the gig, kind of. Yeah. Know. So D- did it tire you out at all after exhausted. time? But I was, but I was, but I was stoked. It was like yeah. all I had been asking for. Absolutely. I mean, there was no. It was not glamorous. But no, but it, it was, doesn't um, matter. You get your, you get beer. You yeah. get to eat pizza. You get to sleep till fucking noon, yeah. and then you get to go play shows six nights out of the yeah. week, which is an amazing. It was a little bit of a nice feel because Austin, being a a two and and, and Sixth Street at the time being such a tourist trap, mm-hmm. you always had a crowd. Yeah, and they always wanted to go hear blues because they're in Austin. Yeah, so excuse me, you have you know every night you had somewhat of a decent crowd. That's and, great. That's uh, amazing. So different, kinda, different now. You know super, what I mean? Yeah, super yeah. different. And and then you know, on nights I was off, I'd go. Um, I moved into this little house with a friend of mine, and uh, we were like two blocks from the original Antones, and and that's when I would go and watch, um, you know, those grades from around town, yeah. and just like sitting off and uh, and watch those guys, and and that's 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 where the real lessons started. Yeah, you know. And, Did you uh, get into a lot of trouble? Like I think about how I would have been if I could just play every night and then eat pizza during the day. Like, was is there a trail of dead of ex John Garrett women, <laughs> if you will? Right? No, no. I mean, you were. It was more about the music. Yeah, I was super into the music. Yeah. Too. I mean, I just was like in, engulfed, and if I wasn't, if my guitar wasn't in my hand, I was listening. And, yeah. And it was just that. Totally part. a student. Totally a student, yeah. for, and and I just engulfed myself in it, and and uh, you know that ran its course, and uh, I got tired and um, didn't see that kind of like life life getting anywhere. And did, uh, it, you didn't, because what's the next step if you think about it, right? Like, well, maybe I'll get a record deal, right? But Austin's hard because it's not L.A., it's not New York. So did you just see like your your prospects were pretty limited at that point? Yeah, it was a little limited, and and I and I felt like I should go back to school, yeah. and and I, and I thought I should go to music school. I had like a friend that went to like Berkeley College oh, wow. of Music in yeah. Boston, and I was like, maybe I should take some like music classes at like ACC or something. Right. And so I I told my parents I was like, I'm gonna sign up for some classes, and they were like, This is fantastic. They were they were they were <laughs> just so glad you would go here back onto the path and of I was academia. Like, yeah, they're like guitar classes, you know, oh. and, and stuff, and <laughs> and so, uh, but I went, and I got super frustrated because like, the teacher would be like, "No, you're doing this wrong," and I'm like, "Motherfucker, I'm playing every night." Yeah, you're doing it you're wrong. You're teaching, man. you're doing it wrong. Yeah. So, anyways, I got. I mean, I was young and just sure. a dick and got all jaded and uh, and then bailed and um, just got kind of burnt out in Austin a little bit, and uh, and a lot of my friends were literally burnouts no kidding <laughs> you know like they just like it's like dude you can't just sit around and smoke weed all day yeah like nobody was getting anything accomplished and i kind of i've always had this sense of like 
um, I'm, I'm pretty driven. Yeah, ambitious uh, for sure. Pretty yeah. ambitious. And so, you know, I was like, I got to get around some people who are doing stuff. Right. And get inspired. Get, get inspired. And just people who are motivated. Yeah. And uh, I, ca- I kept going back to Dallas to see my family and stuff. And I'd go hang out on the, on the weekend or something and, and notice that I was like, wow, people are busy here. And yeah. And like motivated. And I was like, maybe I'll totally come different. back up here. How was the vibe then? It was totally, totally different. Totally right? different. Dallas. Big business, small art, artisan kind of yeah. creative culture. Yeah. And, and the music scene was not Austin, for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. And, um, but I had some friends there, and, uh, and I was, they were like, hey, yeah, let's, you know, let's start working on some music. Come back up here. So mm-hmm. moved back up to Dallas. And, uh, when was that? That was probably like 95. Oh, really? So you spent like uh, three years or so in Austin? I think I was, doing no, it? maybe it was late. You know what? It's probably like 97. I think I was in Austin for like five years. Really? Do it just like the whole time, just immersing yourself 100%. in the guitar playing? hundred percent just playing music. That's killer. That's crazy. And so do you ever think like UT just being around the corner, did it ever really entice you to go back? <laughs> Fuck it. No, I'm no, done. I was just like, oh, why am I even living next to this? Ca- <laughs> why am I even living next to this campus? Like yeah. this is where students should live. Not stoner musicians who are coming home at four in the morning. Like it just didn't make any sense. The girls were super hot and, sure. uh, and that was a lot of, you know, that's that a benefit fun. of living down on campus but, i think that's uh, one of why one of my friends still in his 30s lives down on campus. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny i didn't move um i lived in a few different places in austin but they all seem to be pretty close to that and mm-hmm. uh and uh anyways just i ran it but you yeah there. you you're like gotta have some more momentum Austin, I did that. I need to get up to Dallas again. Good friend. Seems like there's lots of lots of money, trend, you know, transacting and yeah. There's some. There's some like the economy is good. There's people moving around. Some friends that musicians up there, and and maybe it's time to like you know just get out of the mundane you know six nights a week blues gig right. type thing and, and and see what else is out there. And so I can't even remember what happened when I got back um exactly but you know kept playing had some odd jobs like part-time yeah. um little crummy jobs just to like support myself and had a a little apartment and stuff and um and ended up falling in just kind of as a hired gun with a few different bands around town yeah as a, is that that rhythm guitar player we doing lead then uh but whatever right yeah, whatever it whatever. took yeah. and um you know a couple of them would go on the road for you know here and there so i'd be gone some and um and then I started getting into a little bit more, I wouldn't say country music, but yeah, started kind of getting back to like the roots of like what my dad used to play for me and stuff. Like, and, uh, <laughs> am I thinking, um, God, the guy like Hank Williams, like yeah, that kind sure. of stuff? Yeah, sure. I mean, but yeah, but you know, I kind of, you know, the more modern style of like, you know, you, you hear like Steve Earl yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and, and things that have like, country roots to it but you know still kind of still kind of gritty off. yeah yeah and uh fell in with this guy named houston marchman who's kind of a texas um country guy and mm-hmm. started playing with him and we were kind of gone all the time so just touring around yeah touring around and uh did you how, how far out did you make it when you're touring uh not too far i mean we go to nashville a lot oh, all cool. through the south a little bit but mainly those Texas, it was, that was the time the Texas music scene like was taking off like a fucking rocket. Right. And uh, you could make a pretty 
actually good living never leaving texas really because it, well it's its own economy yeah i it mean really like when's like you like hop in the van wednesday morning you had a gig like you know you, you gotta remind yourself this is like kind of twangy country music kind of yeah. twangy uh rock music and there's the clubs you don't even understand how many like dance halls are out in the middle of nowhere yeah that like 600 people will come on a wednesday that's night. all they got to do that's all they have to do. And yeah. these are beautiful, like, historical dance halls. Yeah, absolutely. And so you'd, like, have these, like, epic shows on, like, a Wednesday night. And Crazy. so you might play, like, Green Hall Wednesday night or yeah, and then Thursday night in Austin and then Friday night in San Antonio and Saturday night in Corpus. And then you're home Sunday mm-hmm. and everybody worked, you know, little odd jobs, like, you know, Monday, Tuesday and yeah. just to make a couple of bucks, and then we leave again on Wednesday. And I get these like years. massive gigs. It sounds yeah. like, and you know, these festivals in Texas, like these. I know it sounds like really silly, but like you know, the Luling Watermelon Festival and stuff. I, you dude, know, there's thousands of fucking people. I played that. that in 2004. Yeah, and it's amazing the participation. Yeah, and I didn't really listen to a lot of these guys that much. I, you know, they're kind of like a little bit bratty for me but like yeah. you know that's where those huge names at the time like pat green and pat all those green. guys yeah that's where they cut their teeth and they made serious bucks to get sure. out there and do other things and you know when you have a fucking tour bus and you you haven't left texas yet and you can like manage a tour yeah i totally the get what you're saying is good and it's people are coming good. to your shows you know? yeah because you're talking like texas has massive economy you talk about houston huge powerhouse economy mm-hmm. dallas it's like New York and Bob. I mean, you have these huge towns. So I think a lot of people don't ever think about that. That, that yeah. and we'll talk about spirits in a second. But Texas can absolutely drive its own economy. It could. Ju- it it could secede. It'd be stupid, but it could <laughs> yeah. from an economic perspective, yeah. right? Like, there's so many big cities. It was crazy. So that was that was. I did that for a while and mm-hmm. um, kind of got done with that. And uh, and realized that if I was ever going to do anything um, outside of being a you know a hired gun type situation, so I came back, started writing songs, realized that in order for me to like do what I wanted to do, I had to figure out how to sing. Yeah, which I was never a naturally good singer. But out of necessity, but, you but learned had, how, right? I had to do it. And, yeah, and and put a couple different bands together and made a few albums and a few EPs and. Toured around. What a was it bit. called? The the albums that you because it was your you were singing. Yeah, you were I writing did. Vocals. I did a couple of albums. One I came back down to Austin. That mm-hmm. was kind of more of like a honky tonk type album. Yeah, it was just under my name. Um, and then I started a band called Tweed. Okay. And uh, we were. Why does co- that sound familiar? Should it sound familiar? I don't know. We played I mean, a bunch of shows. Is it a false positive, John? Am I just like you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, were we huge and I didn't know it? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe so. But we got lucky. We, we'd come down here and play Steamboat and mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and some good gigs. We got we got in um, in with some good booking guys. And so we did fairly well for just being some guys trying yeah. to keep it going. And you were the, at that point though, not you weren't the hired gun anymore. It was your vision, I guess you could yeah, say. Yeah, it was my songs and, and the whole deal. Was it more rewarding doing it that way? Totally, dude. Yeah. Totally. And I mean, it wasn't as easy. I mean, no, it's, being a hired it's on gun, you. You know, walking on stage with a couple of long necks and setting a, on top of your marshal and just, right. you know, s- screaming out leads all night is pretty easy. <laughs> you can just uh, put your head down and fucking yeah. jam out. Yeah. But, uh, when it's your gig and your songs and it's, you know, it's, it's really hard to 
have a band and have your vision and have it try to be sounding like you're expecting it to that's yeah. a really rough lifestyle for me because it because you want it to be right every time yeah i mean yeah I, and it's hard when you when you have to <laughs> oh man you can't I play every I totally instrument know. Right? yeah so, well you can but like you can't live it's yeah. impossible so you know that was a uh, that was trying yeah it was great we had some great fun success how long were you known as tweed uh, a few years yeah. maybe three or four or five years and um and all the time i was playing solo gigs on my own like just acoustic gigs traveling around like just doing singer songwriter stuff yeah any big influences then for you musically um or was it still kind of country stuff yeah no i mean tweed was not country at all i mean i played a telecaster and like all the leads in the songs were really twangy and stuff yeah. but they were rock songs i oh. mean not rock and like like rock right but like right. uh you know that was the time that like um you know Sunvolt was around yeah, yeah, and yeah. things like that so that kind of like oh wow you can kind of twang it out but still you know fucking rock you know rock it a little bit and w- wilco was still kind of wilco and point, all that right? kind of stuff was around and yeah and I also, and I think a lot of those guys too, I also had a pretty big pop influence that I didn't really know Yeah, that was down in, in me. You Who, know? Where did that come from? I don't know. I mean, I grew up in the 80s. Well, you know? fucking right, you did. And then the but, early... But, did you, but your dad, was he... Because it sounds like he was just blues and kind of like more straightforward. Yeah, but like, you know, when you started going on your own and buying records and stuff yeah. like that and cassettes and, you know, you know, yeah, I'd crank out Hendrix and Zeppelin all day. But right. then, you know, dude, I'm a... I was a songwriter. If there was a, if, if it was a catchy song, like it didn't really matter to me. I appreciated the song. I, Absolutely. I could get it. And, you know, I wasn't afraid to like peg, you know, yeah, a, yeah. any song as long as I was like, wow, that's a good song. Yeah, because even like pet, it's Pet Shop Boys. Yeah. It's a great example. Fuck yeah. Fucking incredible, yeah. simple pop hooks. And those dudes don't care. Yeah. They're not pretentious. And it didn't nothing. matter if it was like a erasure on the radio yeah, or yeah. if it was like, you know, they were doing a, you know, they were going to get the let out with a fucking triple right. shot. You know, it was like, it was all good. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and so I noticed that, like, I was like, God, I got these, like, these songs and they kind of have a pop aspect to them. But How did, did you feel conflicted at all? Because it's like slightly yeah, a little bit I've more vain. been conflicted <laughs> a little bit. Like, Once I stepped onto this planet, yeah, I was conflicted. But, uh, but it was good. And it was, I learned a lot and I learned a lot, you know, a, a lot about you learn a lot about yourself right. you know, writing songs and stuff like that. And it's it's a cool thing. And putting yourself out there doing acoustic shows and stuff, I mean, that's pretty bare bones. It's yeah. very... I found some, uh, just the other day, I found some boxes with CDs of like live recordings. And I was like, I haven't, li- I didn't even remember writing some oh, of man. these songs. And How did you do like going back and listening to that stuff? Yeah, I mean, a couple of them, I was like, oh God, that's not good. And, and you know, <laughs> like there was one song I was like, I, I was with a friend of mine the other day who's who's a, a songwriter out in, mm. in Los Angeles. He was back in Dallas, and I was like, dude, I found this song, and I was like, I think literally it could still be... Yeah, it's still good. It's still good. It could be recorded by somebody better, and I was like... He was like, dude, give it to me. Let me bring it out there. And, and then uh, so then uh, Demi Lovato, she recorded it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it's good to, it's good to listen back, but yeah. I'm a super um, on or off. Yeah. So when I do something, I'm usually like a hundred percent in, mm-hmm. and when I'm not, I'm not. And yeah. when I decided to not play music anymore, it was like a, not hundred percent. In fact, I, I mean, I haven't. I think I've picked up my guitar like 
10 times in the last decade. No kidding. So. When did you, like, when would you say you put your cap on, on the hook? I think I was like, uh, I think I was maybe like 31. Yeah. I'm 42 now. So like maybe like 31, 32. That's I just, a long time, man. 11 years or so. Yeah. It was like all through high school until, I, I mean, it's a long time. Yeah. And, and by that time I was tired and, was there like a particular gig or anything that, that happened or it just kind of like nicely fizzled out calmly? It fizzled out. I met my wife and it wasn't like that was like something that was like, oh, I better go man up and go get a job or something. Right. I mean, she met me when I was a musician. She probably looks at me now like, where's your edge, John? Like, Where did it go? <laughs> I fell in love with you when you were rocking it out on stage and now you're just <laughs> slinging fucking booze around. So, uh, but is that a downgrade? I got to ask myself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but i think i just i think it just ran its course yeah and uh and now i just uh sometimes i think like maybe when my life slows down a little bit mm. um might go back I, to I think i think i got some more things in me but it'll yeah. be on a you know i'm not going to be trying to like live the dream no and that's when things happen right when you're not trying is when the best things happen to you it's so strange especially mm -hmm. with music like, oh, I wrote this song because I was mad and I'm not going to do it again. But I don't give up. And I mean, I don't regret any of it. It was like, I had a really rocking time until yeah. I was like 32. I mean, I, I not never, so I bad. Never really Most people can't make it to 30. They either overdose or they get <laughs> yeah. like obese, obese, and then they just have to do server jobs. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, you maintained your looks. That's good. Yeah. yeah I don't know about that. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was good. It was so good what, what was that step then? So you're like, things are kind of fizzling out you are losing your affinity for guitar because it's taken its course would you find yourself wanting another career like in business maybe working with your dad or something or you know i didn't know uh i had no idea yeah what i wanted to do i was still working i don't know at the time where i was working but um didn't know what i was gonna do and uh and i thought to myself I, my grandfather had passed away yeah on my mom's side and Are you guys close though uh ish i don't know if anyone's really close with that generation i mean it's I mean, maybe hard, a little yeah. bit i mean my parents and like grand you know that generation and my parents generation were like in that you know in that 50s vibe where it's like you know if it if it provoked an emotion you just like you swallow it and sit there. yeah oh you press you press it <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Totally, you know it's totally. like hey uh you know let's don't stir the boat here right, with emotions right. we're so, gonna sink this fucking boat just stop rocking it god yeah. damn it yeah so uh i mean we were close <laughs> i mean we got along great and uh but uh he passed away and he was really influential on um I, when i was growing up we grew we would go over to his house every sunday and mm -hmm. have um uh, like Sunday lunch. Yeah, right? yeah. Did and, he? Was he a cook? Uh, no, I mean my grandmother was. She always cooked like a nice meal on Sunday, yeah. and the whole family went over there. And uh, and he had a little wine cellar downstairs, oh, and cool. he always had. It was either Burgundy or Bordeaux, and it wasn't mm -hmm. really an ex. It wasn't really expensive stuff, but it was nice wine. And he collected some, some uh, some French wine. And um, after he passed away, my uncle actually sold his um cellar he's and, I, was and he, he was allowed to I hope, yeah right? i guess yeah. he was allowed to and i didn't i guess i didn't know or whatever i didn't speak up but there was some dregs left over like yeah. when i went down there there was like a few cases left over and stuff and so i grabbed them and you know one was actually you'll, you'll appreciate it one was a about a 
three fingers full of old granddad tax stamp. Oh uh, man. And I've got some like tax stamp Benedictine bottles and you play like you're not into like heavy spirits that much. Like I know you like spirits, but I know that you have a place in your heart for old granddad. Yeah, it's cool. I still got a little bit, you know, I'll I'll take a little nip on it every once in a while just to taste it. How is it? Takes you back? It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. I don't know what year it's from. Um, It doesn't even matter though at that point. Cool stuff. But me and my now wife were living together and just kind of out of respect, like I didn't know anything about wine, but every time I would open a bottle of that wine out of a cellar, I would, uh, I would just get online and research it yeah. and be like, what am I drinking? Cause these were like Burgundy and Bordeaux bottles that didn't right. anything. I didn't know You're decades about. old, right? At that yeah. Point. And I didn't know anything about them. And so I just started looking up around and I mean, I drank a lot of wine up till that yeah. I, like, just isn't consumption, you know, yeah. like not really caring too much, but I drank, you know, was that your? Th- was that kind of your thing? For yeah. A while? Like you, t- you. I, I imagine it's beer during the gigs, but yeah. I mean, as I got that. older, like I drank, you know, I drank wine like every night. Yeah. It's just like I still do. It's just yeah. my. Th- I love it, and yeah. um, and so I started learning about the wines I was drinking a little bit, and I got kind of into it. And I one day I just looked at my wife and I was like, I think I'm gonna get in the wine business. No kidding. And uh, she was like, Yeah, go do it. And you know, I had this like rom- romantic thought that like, you know, I'm going to be like, <laughs> m- you know, in it's the- going to be incredibly lucrative. Oh, I'm going to be in the vineyards. Like, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, the grapes are ready for harvest. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's just, let's, let's, uh, let's put them on our backs and carry them in and crush them. <laughs> Anyways, it was like, you know, as we all do, whether it's music or anything, yeah. like, you romanticize and I'm, you know, I might not show it on the outside, but I'm definitely a heavy romantic yeah. in, in heart. And, I just romanticized about the whole thing and uh, I didn't even know how to do it. I didn't know yeah. even know how, like, I was like, how do I, how do you get a job right, in the right. wine business? Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. And I knew I didn't want to go like work at a, a wine shop that just like wasn't my, wasn't going to be. My right. Day. It's not, it's not deep enough. Yeah. It's not romantic. It wasn't romantic. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so I Googled wine importers in Texas Mm-hmm. And the first place that popped, the first thing that came on was direct wine imports of Texas, which was this little small distributor Mm -hmm. in Houston. And I was like, I think I, I I guess I emailed him or something and said, hey, I don't know how clear I was, but I was like, (laughs) I don't really know what I'm doing, but I want to get into this business and I'm emailing Help me. Help me, help me. Yeah, yeah. And randomly he emailed me back and was like i'm in dallas next week do you want to meet and i was wow. like okay and we met over at central market in dallas and he handed me this little tiny portfolio and said here it is this is what it pays and you get two trucks a week romantic or not this is what it is and I was like, this is not, I was like, where's the G4, you know, <laughs> to Italy? Uh, when are we going to the vineyard? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyways, I like, <laughs> I had to like wake up and, um, and figure it out. Yeah. Like zero, 100% zero uh, roadmap. On did anything. it feel like beyond the, the romanticization of it, did it feel like somehow it was calling you? You know, sometimes careers are like that. It's like, oh man, I think this. Yeah, is my I mean, it's definitely. I was definitely supposed to be doing it. I mean, I, I just can't imagine that it was going to be 
you know, why I would have chosen to do that. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I just... It's, but it was something in you, like some kind of... Just yeah, like a, I mean... Subconscious thing. Yeah, I just... I, I, it was something I had to go figure out and, yeah. and, and learn about. And, and your uh, wife was like, okay, fine. Yeah, just, just, All right, when are you going to write more songs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was like, just go do it. And so... Um, so I did. I just woke up the next morning and was like, how do I do this? And I just... I don't even know how I did it, but I yeah. figured it out. And I think like in six months, I was his best rep. And uh, so, wait, when did he offer you the job? So you guys meet at Central Market. He's like, "Here's the portfolio." He's like, you "I'll are, send you a couple of boxes." Of your samples. dreams are crushed because it's not <laughs> yeah. a matter of like carrying grapes over your back in in Venice or something. <laughs> and so you, but you sleep and you get really reasonable about it. And you wake up and like, "No, I'm going to do this." And so, how 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 far after or how long after that were you like actually part of the group selling wine? Yeah, like. The next day. No kidding. That's incredible. Like he sent me uh, a, a bunch of samples mm-hmm. and was like, go for it. And I like, you know, much like going and like having a gig, like you walk into a wine shop and you're like, hi. You got to perform. I'm John. Yeah. This is my portfolio. I work for this company. Um, do you maybe want to taste some wine? And, you know, half of them were total assholes to me. Of course. And, you know, you just go home, beat down. And, uh, and you think to yourself like, wow, this is not going well. Yeah. And, uh, and then I was like, where do people, where are people buying the most wine? That's where I'm going. Yeah. Like I got to figure this out. Where people are going to be at least a little bit more accepting and like open to it. And that was big retail. Yeah. Like major grocery and stuff like central market and Mm -hmm. Whole Foods type thing. And so I just went and suck, sunk my teeth into selling to those big stores where they could buy a bunch a lot of wine yeah and um and that's what i did i i just started selling and selling and selling to those places and it was brutal i mean he the driver would leave houston at one in the morning mm-hmm. and meet me at some point in dallas at like 6 a.m and then i would drive the van and go do all the deliveries in dallas all over dallas fort worth yeah and then by five or six o'clock that day he would wake up and drive back to Houston. And I did that twice a week. Crazy. And it was cr- like, I was like, this is more tiring than being a musician. <laughs> you know. That's a, but that is a very valuable lesson. It right? was a, like, like I, in my opinion, everyone should have to go through that. Through early, the ranks. Super early on of distribution. It's yeah. just fucking brutal. What, what's different now in terms, not, not necessarily, necessarily for you, but like, distribution there it's like pretty analog people are running vans you're driving a van and you're a sales guy is it different at all now uh some days no (laughs) some days no yeah i think a couple times i'm like yeah i'm driving the truck up (laughs) i mean it's you know i think people sometimes forget that in this business on this side of the business specifically and not to discount anyone else's no sure sure you know people think distributors oh we have this stuff in our warehouse that we've gotten for free and we just go out and show it to you and it magically appears and they forget that we have this whole other business yeah. that's acquiring the product and paying for it and warehousing it and yeah. taking orders and shipping it. Like it's called distribution. Yeah, it's us. a pretty it's a two way street. Like you order it, you get yeah. it for you import it or ultimately you bring it in, you store it. Sometimes it's gotta be refrigerated yeah. and like a climate controlled and then you gotta get it out to people. And then you gotta get it there and you gotta you know, it's so it's it's a it's a vigorous situation yeah. and and I think 
you know, everyone's got their their hardships in their business, but it's a, it's a lot. You know, it's a right. lot to to get something from A to B. You know, all well, the way because it's got to physically go from it's A to B. Physically get there. That's and it the worst just part of magically, it. Magically appear. And that, so. but you know what? That's one of the 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 true values of booze or food, even right? Like I always consider it the last vestige of culture and art. Is that music can be consumed in a different way now? You can kind of just download it. No one's got to like transfer it to you. Mm-hmm. Movies, the same kind of thing. You can just buy it downstairs on the TV. But a bottle of wine or a bottle of spirit. You have to get it. There is like this manpower that is behind getting it to you, and there's something to really be revered about that. Yeah, there's nothing. There's not. There's no other way to do it. No other way. And, and you uh, got to appreciate it, like because it's not only is it made somewhere, yeah. but often somewhere far from here, but somehow that was made there, culti- like cultivated, bottled, capped, shipped, ran through customs, ended up in your hands, and then it's in my hands. Yeah. I mean, that's a insane. It's a prof- found thought to think of how far a bottle can travel it's insane and it's actually got to the point where like I, i'm convinced that like too many people don't understand that yeah and um and i think if they understood that um maybe they just appreciate the whole system as a whole a little bit and mm. and so i mean like random timing i got asked to do a uh like this series deal at the cocktail at San Antonio. Cocktail oh, you're going to do something now? coming up. And, and this guy said, Hey, can you, do- five people are going to do 20 minutes each on just a specific subject. And yeah. I'm going to show a, from conception of bottle, uh-huh. uh, all the way to what it takes, you know, you'll understand all this. Sure. From, sure. From cap, everything, oh, dude, TTV, Ugh. all the way to, importation every cost every single it's probably gonna be an excel or a powerpoint of, yeah it have of, to be of 400 pages <laughs> of each single thing that has to happen right right but all the way till it gets to the back bar and, it, and it's it's a little insane any particular kind of spirit or just whatever yeah i'm gonna take two yeah i'm gonna take one i think i'm gonna uh one's gonna be a cognac and oh, one's gotcha. gonna be like from the islands yeah like a rum which is totally <laughs> when you talk about paying customs bringing yeah. it in storing it and I think uh, uh, I think I'm gonna try to like make it really simple and quick and painless. But I think at the end, you know, I think people will be like, "Wow, I, I didn't know." You yeah, know, that it took it takes that to do it. Man, so. I'm just I, I I'm waiting for that grind. So there's two ways to look at. It. I always think about like the the LDI stuff. You know, mm-hmm. these whiskeys where you can buy in bulk and stuff. And then I, I imagine a diagram of a bottle. The bottle is the graph. And then you have various levels within the graph that indicate like this is labor, this is bottling, this is taxes, this is yeah. shipping. That's like, and that's how the hundred percent of all of your cost is the top of the bottle. You yeah. know, a lot of people don't realize like how how expensive. So rum, especially when you bring it in, cognac even more so. But sure. like whiskey is a little bit different. You can, you can source it that's within insane. the United States and yeah. stuff. But are you excited to to present again at San Antonio? Probably. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're we're gonna kind of lay back a little bit we've done a bunch of stuff in the last few years there and i'm doing a couple of things but uh when i got asked to do that and they were like you can do whatever you want and i was like you know what you only got 15 or 20 minutes i'm gonna debunk that part of it for everybody and or anyone that comes and and just kind of just show them like what it takes to actually get it here it's it's kind of performing again too right being in front of the classroom in a sense i mean that's good i think that's maybe what um I mean, we, I've tried in 
in in this career to spend a lot of time educating because I've been lucky enough to have um, people educate me. Yeah. And, and and I think if I can pass on, you know, a two percent of anything that they've passed on to me, so it is like that. I mean, when yeah. we when we put on. Uh, seminars or educationals or something and you know what happens the night before or the week before you're who's going to show up right right is my band going to show up yeah as like do i have my shit together like am i gonna like am i gonna am i prepared is my throat okay am i prepared to? (laughs) but am i gonna like am i gonna am i literally prepared to discuss this topic in front of an audience and like I love that. I love that feeling. It's the same thing, man. Yeah, Being, so, are my chops good enough? Is, do I know yeah. the song? Do I remember the lyrics? And it puts you in the pressure to practice. And the yeah. practice in, in this arena is um, is studying and learning from people who influence yeah. you and, and, and knowing your shit by the time. Well, you know what I find like particularly interesting about you is that you seem so relaxed about the way that you deliver knowledge and the, the talk about spirits and stuff. It's almost like it feels like the kind of guy that doesn't prepare at all. But that's not true, is it? You you're very prepared for this stuff. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. I I I feel like I do I don't know what it is compared to others, yeah. but I feel like I put in a lot of time to understand. Yeah. I, that, I think so. It's funny cuz you can you delivery be... is like totally sweet and smooth, right? But it, I, I can tell that you put a lot of thought into it. Yeah, I, 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 I'm glad it comes off that way. Yeah. I'll take that as a compliment. Cause maybe I'm delusional though, John. Yeah, yeah maybe don't everyone trust else is me. like, this guy doesn't know shit. But like, <laughs> um, and, and I don't ever, uh, ever want to come off like that I or we know more than someone else. Right. It's just like I go somewhere and maybe I go to Jerez and I and I engulf myself in sherry or something. Yeah. It's not that like, well, I'm going to go back and educate everybody. It's right. like, no, you. I just want to share what, what I learned. It's like, so fun. It's like, this oh, look is, at this. Look at this. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is incredible. And if you know this and you know more than me, tell me. Yeah. Like, why we're doing this. But if you don't know anything, I just found something. Like, yeah. I just want to show you. And it, I hope it's worth your time. Yeah. You know, and, and so I try to spend time going places and golfing myself in it and you're inclusive that's what i call it versus exclusive right so like you have the knowledge you want to share you want to create a discussion around it and so and i want to touch on this point real quick before we get back to like how you transition from wines into spirits wine into spirits but so talking about discussion and talking about sharing and talking about being on a playing field and like really, really trying to learn and be inclusive about spirits and all the, the methods of production, all mm-hmm. this shit. So David Sorrow, and I love, I, I really want to talk about this. So David Sorrow, who obviously does Sambra Azul, does Sambra Metal. He ate those labels, man. They are full disclosure. They're granular to some people. They may be even too academic, which is not a problem. If you want, the level of detail, good. You get it. And if you don't, you don't, it, you'll still buy it, but you don't even give a shit, right? Mm-hmm. So he, he kind of posed this philosophical question, right? About the label that he's putting out with Samber Methyl or, or Arzul, either way. Mm-hmm. Is it too much, right? He started this conversation, said, all the stuff I'm putting on this label, is it too, is it, do, will consumers even care? So when you think about like education, there's two points, really. So one, 
do you, how do you feel about putting it all out there? Because mm-hmm. he seems like a guy that's excited to share. He's not trying to be esoteric. He's not trying to, you know, make people feel bad about sure, what they don't sure, know. Sure. I mean, how do you feel about what he's doing with those labels? Um, I think, I think. And yes, it's a pretty specific question. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, uh, I, I guess, like, I don't want to sound like generic and be like, and I don't want to. I think transparency is a great thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, do I care that every producer puts everything on their bottle? No. No. I don't care. But you don't see. Do, do, rather, do you see it as a fault? No. No, I don't. And, yeah. and and I think no one's asked them to right. in the past. So like, why would they? Yeah. It's just like more work for them, and maybe they just sure. don't feel like they need to. It's never been a necessity or a or a um, no one's no one's called them out to yeah, do the, that. Yeah, the, right? the public's not clamoring for more so detail. So I yeah. saw that. I, I saw that, and when David put that on there, I messaged him and I said, "Hey." Why not, you know, do it because you want to. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Right. Don't care. And that do was it. in the discussion. I was like, David, if you want to do this, do it. Yeah. Be proud of it. But don't worry about everyone else doing it. Right. And, um, and, 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 and I think he agreed with that. And, and it's great. It's a great tool for me to go in and talk to a consumer or, mm-hmm. or, or, or an establishment about his products. Yeah. Um, I have other things in my portfolio that that are as transpa- transparent. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe not, maybe not in such detail. Right. But, but Vago is pretty close. Yeah, Vago is super close. Yeah. And, um, but it's like, hey, it's great. It's on there. And if someone's interested and David's willing to do it, right? Perfect. Yeah. I mean, who? If someone dogs him from that, is just ridiculous. Right. It doesn't like, alienate anybody. It doesn't alienate anyone, and yeah. it, and he's not being he's not trying to be a pompous guy. Just no, he's, he's a that. very warm guy. Um, wants to share, right? Yeah, but he's you know he is that guy. What he has done to me in knowing him and in this industry, and you know, there's days where I'm like. My personality is very, like I said earlier, hot and cold. Right. I can walk. I could literally walk out of this room Mm -hmm. after me and you are done. Yeah. Quit my job. Yeah. And go do something else, and I'll never look back. Right. Like you gotta admire that. I'm just. Well, I don't know if it's. I mean, I've got to admire. Well, it's just. I my brain works very different on that. I'm a very uh, big picture maybe, and Mm. this is all small beans in my in my big picture. Yeah. Um, and I think to myself, like what keeps me going in this industry and, and kind of like, you know, on those days that you're like having to walk through the mud a little bit, it's, you know, it's guys like David that, that make me get up in the morning. I'm going to go as far as to say, like, he's like a wonderful father figure for us. Yeah. He's not, maybe not directly, not a replacement, but like he's older, he's intelligent, he's articulate, he's compassionate. And there's no reason that I would ever think that things he would do with his label or his product would be of any ill-conceived no, come on. area, right? The guy's, the guy's a, he's a... He's a sweetheart. He's a total angel. Right. So so here's the other part of it. And I won't even name names, but I'll I'll, I'll, per, I'll call this person the antiquated prick. And I, I, I seldom get embroiled in an argument on Facebook, which is like fucking fighting over the last pea and the, the stir fry, right? Like it's, it's so insignificant, right? Right, right. But for some reason, this 
particular person, because this goes back to how you feel about education, right? You get back from learning about Sherry. You're like, holy shit, Sherry is an amazing thing. It's incredibly delicious. Let's all talk about it. Let's like fucking riff on Sherry, right? But then there's some people like, well, John, actually, blah, 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 blah. This is the, the real thing about Sherry. And how do you feel about like those people in the end? Because I, I think it comes from the old guard. That's how I call it, sure. right? How do you feel about people like coming in and be like, well, actually, consumers don't give a shit. And I know everything about the industry and I'm not willing to budge or help anybody else learn. Like, yeah. well, what do you think about that? kind I mean, of They're too old per- to be on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> First and foremost. Yeah. I think that uh, I know you're talking about, you know, but, um, and I'll, I'll, you know, someday I'll let's I'll just put it this way. He like, I, I used to do a ton on Facebook. I yeah. actually took it off my phone recently because I it, it was a little much. It's become right. a little much for me. But back when I was a little a little more mouthy than maybe I am these days yeah. on there. Um, I mean, he, he unfriended me. Let's put it that Amazing. way. And uh, and when I asked, I did a I did a t- tequila tasting at the San Antonio Cocktail Conference two years ago where mm-hmm. we um, was tasted... He, was he there? No, no. Oh, yeah. But we tasted old versus new bottles. Sure, sure. And it was... I'd like to think that it was a, quite a tasting. I mean, we were opening, uh, you know, bottles from the 80s and 70s versus, mm-hmm. you know, new production and, and blind tasting with people. And, and it was great. And I reached out to that individual and said, I found this bottle, which was a fucking unicorn bottle that i mm-hmm. found in the wild by the way mm. and uh and i said can you help me date this and 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 tell me a little bit about it what do you say he's just basically like don't waste my time and i was just like okay thanks i'm just trying to help out here this fucking and, dude man so i get i threw in the towel on that one yeah. and you know what uh, i have no time for that anymore right and like, the the cool thing is is that I feel like, and I'm I'm not gonna consider my part myself a part of this, but like I consider you, I consider Judah, I consider David, um, fucking Houston, like all the guys. Like there's so many great people doing amazing things to bring people into the conversation. Like William, right? William Scanlon, mm-hmm. the Ray Compiero and the Real Minero stuff. He's a guy. He's just a guy, and he's like, let's fucking talk about mezcal because it's an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. And so you got these new people that are like really, really excited to talk about it really really open and interested and and just accessible and it contrasts the old guard man yeah you know because these old guys are stuffy and it's just it's i think it's a natural thing i think so too they're threatened aren't they i i I suspect that this sounds this might sound bad but they're not they're not in the game anymore they had their day they had their their, their day and and they were they did some incredible things, some right. of them. And, uh, you know, that gentleman included was, yes. I mean, he's he's a legend in what he got accomplished. Right. But, um, but he's not, he hasn't done anything for years, yeah. you know, 20 years or something. So now he's just mouthing off. It's like Chumbawamba. Yeah. Fucking huge one hit, right? <laughs> Global hit. Everybody knows the song. What are they doing now? Yeah. And the problem is, is or rather the, the real the real benefit is like you chip away and you do a little bit of brilliant stuff every time. And then you build this long career. And I think that that's what David Soros doing. Yeah, look, David, look, when I put together, when I started putting together a spirits portfolio, I was completely adamant that yeah. there would never be a tequila in this portfolio. Why is that? Uh, I thought it was a disastrous category that yeah. 
much like maybe let's say like the vodka category when i was doing a lot of just like on the street research and going into stores and stuff i was like wow the two biggest shelves are vodka and tequila and they're completely overloaded yeah and i was like i'm just gonna stay away from those categories and concentrate on on other things yeah and uh and then I tasted Cien Brazil. Like, <laughs> it's like, damn it. <laughs> and then, and so, I, I, you know, I, I literally tell David all the time when we're together, I'm like, you know, you've, you just ruined me. Yeah. And now literally half my portfolio and probably, you know, half our sales are, are agave based. Yeah. And, um, it seems like you're, you're a pioneer. You're the, you're an agave guy now. I, I definitely got hooked on it. And, yeah. you know, I'm definitely, uh, I definitely love, um having my fingers in a bunch of different things yeah. and uh and unlike maybe music or something where my brain is very hot and cold and I'm either on or off yeah for some reason in this industry I'm able to be satisfied um it is actually striking to me because it, it's it it is it's one thing if you would just consider that like you're part of a distributor right so it's like one thing but Maybe because there's so many different genres of spirits that it makes it, it you can never get bored with that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, this this industry has provided me this. Um, I guess I don't know how you say it, like the ability to have interest in a bunch of things. Yeah, and that's okay. Like no one's saying, John, you shouldn't be out like pushing, you know, vermouth this week, like. You know, you, you can't just go sell mezcal this week. Like, I can wake up and whatever I need to go do, and I can touch a bunch of different categories and educate myself and, and learn, and I'm not just pigeonholed. Yeah. Which is very against the way my brain works. Really? And uh, so there's something to it that's good. There's got to be something to it. Well, so then when did that transition occur then between doing wine, which was exclusively wine, and shifting mm-hmm. to spirits? So uh, I stayed like three years at that first with that first distributor yeah. out of Houston. I was living in Dallas, but they were based yeah. in Houston. They need someone in Dallas, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I met um, kind of a guy uh, who was working for a company called Virtuoso Selections at the time. Mm-hmm. Me and him, he kind of noticed that in the big um, – Back in those days, Central Market, there was like four stores in Dallas. It was mm-hmm. kind of the Wild West. They could, the stores could individually buy anything they wanted. Oh, wow. Nowadays, it's like all kind of like... Kind of corporatized, right? Corporatized yeah. a little bit. But back then, it was the Wild West. And you could go in there and, I mean, I could drop, you know, six pallets on a Tuesday. No shit. And me and him were like the guys that got there like, you know, way early, like six in the morning before anyone else got there to right. kind of like survey and see what we could get done before the buyer got you there. Knew, you knew, you knew when to be there. Yeah, 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 of course. And, uh, and it was always me and him. So I think it was, it was this like friendly competition going on. And, mm. and one day he came up to me and was like, Hey, let, let's just do this together. Mm. And, uh, he said, once you come, once you, you know, once you come work for us, and uh, you know, it was a little bit of a raise and an opportunity to go to go uh, to work more. And me and him kind of went out, and um, I was able to just kind of me and him just could kind of crush that wine side of that business. And did you, did you want to get further into wine? I mean, it was just yeah. like, well, whatever. Or were you? No, no, I was engulfed in wine. Totally engulfed. Completely engulfed in wine. 
And but I also realized that it wasn't the romance that I thought. It yeah. was we got to move some boxes. We got to get some sales. There's logistics to it. Yeah. So, you know, you got to get that part of the business done so you can get on a plane and go to Argentina or Italy, yeah. but you got to go get the work done first. And so I was very motivated to get up and get cracking and and get business going. So it was an okay balance for you that you could you had to like put in the the backbreaking work because at the end of the day and maybe quarterly or whatever, like you get to experience yeah. the romantic the, side of it. The the better you did, the perks of the lifestyle grew. Yeah. Right? So it makes sense then. Like totally you can make sense. it romantic if you want to. Yeah, if you're sure. willing to put in the work. But it was uh it was you know, some some crummy work some days. Sure. So anyways, I spent I don't know five years at Virtuoso on the mm-hmm. wine side and it provided me I never had a position there. I was never a rep in the traditional sense. I was yeah. never a commissioned rep. I was always a I was always used as a um they allowed me to go garner business and gain business and pass it off to other reps. And oh, so cool. I had this really good thing going there. And I've still to this day after 12 years of being in this business, I've never, I, I'd never had just a commission-based rep job. I always had some weird specialized job that I've dreamt up that I was able to go execute and yeah. they trusted me to go do it. So I think I duped everyone for a long time. <laughs> but I was producing, right? Yeah, Which was all that yeah. mattered. And you managed to accumulate some wonderful brands in your your tenure, if you will, at yeah, Virtuoso. I for mean, sure. I, I I don't know this, right? And so maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it feels like you really introduced Vago and brought it to the world. Well, well, we're going almost getting there. Yeah. Basically, I don't know what year this was, but. I do know that Anvil was about to open, mm-hmm. which was kind of going to be like, you know, the cock, you know, monumental and mo- a little bit of monument, not yeah. a little bit, uh, monumental uh, in the cocktail world in Texas. I think in Austin there were. This was before me, so I don't right. really, I don't, I don't know the timelines, but I think like maybe Eastside Showroom was open here. Right. And I Peche think, probably. I don't know if yet. Not I know yet. Bill Norris was maybe at Fino. Yeah, and yeah. A couple of things, but. Bobby and those guys were about to open Anvil and they had done their due diligence in a big way on things they needed to execute the cocktails that they wanted to make. Right, right. And those things weren't available in Texas yet. No not kidding. everything. And they had reached out um, through who's now one of our partners at Victory, William Mesnerich, and and a little bit of myself saying, Hey, can y'all help get some of these products into Texas? Yeah. And we were wine guys. And William, I think, contacted Eric Seed at House All Pens and mm-hmm. said, hey, we got some bars here that needs your stuff. And Virtuoso brought these, you know, this huge portfolio and of all this geeky, you know, allspice dram. And right, right. Zerbin stone, right. pine Classico, liquor, right. All this stuff in there. And um, we let them kind of just pick at it, but we were out selling wine, right? Yeah. And then one day... I got kind of bored one day and I just pulled some samples. I think I grabbed like Heyman's Old Tom and some bottles of Dolan and a few other things. And I just decided to like put a bag over my shoulder and go out for like a week. Yeah. And to, to Houston? No, I was in Dallas. Oh, okay, okay. And people were just like, ship it. Get it into my fucking bar. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? Why did people care all of a sudden? Yeah, like what's going on in the world? Like these are these geeky spirits and vermouth and all this stuff. And... 
I did that for a while and I started watching the sales and I went back down to the owner of the company and I was like, let me, let me open up a spirits division. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know, some, just pe- work. I know some people and give them, give me a shot. Yeah. She thought about it for a couple of weeks and she called and she's like, okay, do it. So I called Eric Seed and I was like, what else do I need? Yeah. And so he introduced me to like Ed Hamilton and then Ed Hamilton introduced me to this guy and I was able to very luckily acquire some things that were much needed and unbeknownst to me in classic cocktails yeah. that weren't available. And so in order to make that drink, you had to have these things, whether it was like creme de violette right, or right. velvet falernum or things like that. And was it, was anybody even doing this at that point too? Or were you the guy that kind of brought it in? Well, we had it and nobody, no one had it here. And, right. but the, but the cocktail scene hadn't gotten to Texas yet, but yeah. you know, I think Bill and Chauncey and Bobby and all those guys knew what was going on in New York and San Francisco where people were it. using this stuff and they were like, we got to get this stuff here. And I remember reading an article that, that Bobby was talking about the other day about how, you know, getting Carpano here. Was right, a big right, deal. right. And so all these things, we started getting all these things here, like Lemon Heart 151 yeah. and all these like historical classic things and cult following yeah super cult things but these things these guys needed to make i didn't know these cocktails but i knew that like these things had to be in those drinks right yeah so um so i just started building on that and um and kind of ran with it and it was good it was it was a good couple of years at virtuoso i kind of had free reign to build this portfolio out mm-hmm. i at that time i had tasted siembra azul i just basically shit the bed when i tasted it <laughs> and it was with another distributor i did i did whatever i could you, i'm not it. really a snake like that where i like no. I like to take things but i was like i gotta have this yeah. they were looking for a new distributor at the time i was like just give me a shot david moved over um I found out that Tapatio was going to come to the U.S. I remember that, yeah. And, and immediately called my good friend Wyatt Peabody and mm-hmm. said, help me, help Get, me, help, help me. Help me land this, yeah. And uh, he made a phone call real quick and was able to acquire that. And so I got some, what I what I consider either historical or things that had a high relevance. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and um, well, it's weird because you've managed. You're like the Barry Gordy of spirits, right? Oh <laughs> <laughs> you like you you knew the talent, and you picked exactly the right spirits for exactly the right areas, right? It's like you bring Vago in, you bring Dolan in, which is just, it's fucking ubiquitous now. Well, William yeah. William Mesnerich, who's one of our partners at Victory, was definitely responsible about getting house all pens here yeah um it's just none of us did anything with it but i definitely i definitely went out and was like hey this is here and and started championing those things and um you know the vago deal was just like the feel-good thing of the you know it, it's something i'll think about when i retire yeah. when judah walked into my office in in austin and you know he had a t-shirt and a brand new pair of boots and uh and <laughs> jeans and that was it yeah literally and he had some samples and and uh he was gonna make another decision and um i had to talk him out of it yeah i was like i was 
completely floored uh, with with what he had in those bottles. And it's insanely amazing I called, stuff. After Judah and I agreed to work together, I said, hey, can I can I try to help in other places? And I called Nicholas Palazzi in New York, and mm-hmm. I called some other people around the country, and it seemed like overnight it um, everyone was stoked. <laughs> and uh, I mean, there's no it's it. Everybody wants to sign him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like the, the 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 hype's building up. But the thing is, is that it's a Vago is an inspiration to me. I mean, I I don't think that we would have at Genius done half of the things we did, mm. even if it's not Agave, mm. if it hadn't been for what Judah did, mm. you know, cause he's an accessible guy. He's friendly, he's personable. And he just like, this is an amazing thing. I'm passionate about it. I'm going to share it with everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's I, an inspirational story. It really know? is. And I remember tasting with him. It was the Mexicano that, that oh, like yeah. sold it to me. And it was the first time that, um, it was the first time I sat down with somebody and had to make a decision, a, a, a decision that I had made in my head and had to figure out. But it was the first time I knew to, that I could trust my palate. Yeah. And that was a really eye-opening situation for me where I was like, after 12 years of tasting wine and tasting spirits and going places and listening to other people, that was my time to make my own decision. Yeah. And, um, and... And it, it, it taught me that maybe after that amount of time, I I can trust my palate a little bit. and uh, Kind of a rite of passage in a way, right? It was for me, personally. It was something that I really thought about a lot after. Like, you know, you never know when, like, when you can say to yourself, like, do I trust myself on yeah. this? And it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. It's totally hard. And, uh, and that was something that uh, I did, and it's been the, it's been... A great thing yeah i think man i i can't think you know i remember i i cold called if you will bill norris in the street one time i saw him at a hendrix event and i didn't know bill and i i so looking forward to chatting with him on the show but mm. he didn't know me i don't know him i just knew of his work and we talked and he was so open and the thing is like from the first couple of minutes that i actually that i was talking to bill like he's like yeah this guy john garrett you gotta you gotta oh, talk to yeah it was insane like you were on the hook you were on the hook from very first couple of minutes and i remember we met and we, we talked gin and you tried the gin and stuff and i just knew that you would be a guy that at least i'd have to fucking run stuff by you know i'd always want to get your feedback on ideas well that's nice man i i will say i rode I, i've ridden a bunch of coattails and i've had a lot of people who are super respected in the industry yeah kind of hold my hand and introduce me. I mean, I was with Eric Seed, who owns House All Pens, the first time I met Bill Norris. Oh, really? And Bill might not have accepted me as someone he would want to talk to a second time if right. maybe I wasn't with Eric. It's so weird how that works, right? And, and it's, you know, I'm f- super fortunate that um, these people have, have um, helped me and introduced me to people and maybe... A way that um, I don't know if I didn't have to work. I don't know. It, it was. It's. It's. It's been nice. Yeah, like they've been, it's been really, really, really good. There's something about the industry in that respect in which there is an implicit respect. There's an implicit fondness of each other, and we just want to learn from each other. Um, 
I can't, I can't really, it's almost like it, it is family. It's so strange, right? Like, it, even though Jude and I, we're not related, he's fucking like a foot taller than me. Yeah. <laughs> he's a surfer, he's from Colorado, like, still going down to Oaxaca, spending an afternoon with he and his family. Sure. It just felt like kindred yeah. spirits, you know? So, but let's take a moment here to describe the bottle that you picked. Every time we pick a bottle, man, you, I, I figured, I was almost sure you're going to pick that Cinezo that we have downstairs, <laughs> that Siempre Metal uh, Cinezo. But you picked it, a Panamanian rum, is that right? That is 40, you said 47%? Yeah, this is something that a friend of mine. Mr. Jake Jake Lustig. Lustig. A um, wonder, like, also a wonderful dude that I met through you. Yeah, so, He's so. He's a killer dude. I mean, you want to talk about someone who has such a rich history, especially in agave spirits. Yeah. He's branched out and done some other cool projects, and he sent me this bottle the other day. It's from Panama. It's um, 47%. Yeah. It's a true nine-year. True nine-year um, rum. Wonderful color on it. It's beautiful. And, and you know, I'm maybe it doesn't show in the market as much, but I'm definitely a rum guy. Yeah. And we have a lot of rum, and I just I don't know if, if people realize the rums we have in the portfolio, but it's something that I think if – someone sat down and looked at at my portfolio, they would say, wow, you have a lot of rum. Right. You have and, all the Hamilton stuff, right? Yeah. Or all, some of it, at least. All of Yeah, all of Ed's stuff and Nissan and Le Favorite and Smith and & Cross and all that uh, kind of Smith stuff. Smith and & Cross. And, and, and it, you know, it's, it's a category that I think everyone's been waiting for it to have its day in the sun, and it kind of gets cloudy a little bit every time we think it's going to happen, but yeah. it's such... You know, as all these, all these spirits go up in price, and whiskey and all that mess that's going on, yeah. and agave prices up and down and everything. Like, I think sometimes people forget how cost effective, like, really good rum can rum be. is. I mean, yeah, this is a nine-year foolproof rum. And you've been so, sipping it. What do you What do you think? I'm I'm enamored as shit with it. Man. I love it. It is so good. But it's gonna be like. What I'm gonna sell this for like twenty four dollars? Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's it. So that's what I'm saying. It's like rum is. I don't know. I mean, if your bar, <laughs> I I've never worked at a bar mm-hmm. in my entire life, so I do not tell people how to run their business. But my thought is, is that why everything's expensive and people are putting expensive things in cocktails? Mm-hmm. Unless I'm crazy. It seems to me like rum is a great way to make some margin up <laughs> on your cocktails. Man, but. if that's only twenty, I, I mean, I might just distract you and just steal <laughs> that bottle and shove yeah, it down sure. my shirt. You know, it's a brilliant bottle, man. So, so there's good. some there's some categories that might not be, um, you know, get get me to early retirement, but things that I'm I'm pretty enamored with, and and rum's something I've definitely definitely love. Yeah. Do you think? Sometimes music's a great analogy, and you kind of understand that coming up through the ranks, you know. With music, it's like your only chance to really be lucrative, lucrative, and like fiscally successful, if you will, right? Because you, I never play, and I get the sense you never did either. But like music, you don't play it because you want to make money. You want to play it because you can express yourself, have some creative freedom have a good social life, you're out there performing, it's kind of ego massaging, all these kinds mm-hmm. of things. But like, you're just fighting the fight and doing the same thing here where you're just expressing and you're sharing these amazingly honest products. But for you, 
as a distributor, there's not a lot of money in it and there's not a lot of margins for you. I mean, where do you, where do you go? Where do you settle down in 15 years? How do you change this or bring it to another level? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. It's tough. I mean, it's, I don't know a lot of people in this industry, definitely on the distribution side that are mm -hmm. like crushing it financially. Yeah. Um, can you make a good living? Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Will you feel good doing it? Fuck yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, can you can you be like, wow, I'm gonna get the golden egg here? And I'm not talking about like you know, tons of money, but right. Uh, this industry for me is um, it's pretty personal. I want to champion things that I believe in and people that I know, yeah, and, and and that I can impact. I know some of these producers personally i know their children i know these importers i know their families yeah um i know that how i react daily impacts their life and does, yeah. and uh and and vice versa and so that's that makes me get up in the morning and go to work and it feels great but the beauty about of, of, of this business is that if you play your cards right and, and this is my hopes, and I've gotten to dabble in this some. It's a really great lifestyle, yeah. and you might not you might not be making you know crushingly amazing money, but um, you know I think you know I think I went to Mexico six or seven times last year, yeah. and 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 you you had amazing and, spirits that like yeah. didn't cost you anything either, right? Like, yeah, and and you know. I just got back from Spain and, and Southern France and that if I can get to the point where I can provide that lifestyle for myself and include my family yeah. in it, that's, that's worth, it doesn't, you know, the money doesn't really matter. Yeah. And it's funny cause you are touring. You're a touring musician. If you, if you think about it, yeah, I, I really, you know what I mean, I, mean I tell people all the time, it, you know, suppliers that I deal with and importers and stuff, when I when I call them or they call me, they always say, "Where are you?" Yeah, and I'm typically in my car because you're a jet setter. But they, but they from, more mean like which continent are you? Well, no, right? I mean they they know I'm in my car somewhere most uh -huh. likely if it's just normal work day, and it's like, you know, and I usually bug them because I've got a three hour drive from yeah. Austin to Dallas or Houston or something. But um, yeah, I mean if. I tell my I tell people all the time it's a joke. I mean, I I should have been a trucker. I'm <laughs> I'm fucking great at driving. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> is so. there anything? Uh, what do you listen? You mentioned like the modern music kind of doesn't get get your goat much, but uh, I listen, listen to some music. I've been listening to all these lately. Yeah, I well, that's so the, I listened to two I'm on the way here a little today. bit. Yeah. Uh, which, wait, which ones did you listen to? Who did I listen? I listened to Jessica Sanders. Yeah, which was really cool. Amazing story. Yeah. And um. Uh, oh my gosh, who was the other one? I listened to like half a Travis, and then I had to get yeah. out of the car. Yeah, was a, he's a. And I think I got a few more to do, but I've listened to a lot of. Yeah, lot which of, is so cool, man. I really it's appreciate great. No, that. No, it's great. Yeah. What I like about it is, um, it hasn't been a bunch of people just talking about their business and selling no, things. It's, it's not just a, kind of a lifestyle thing, dude. Yeah, the the one thing, in it, and I was talking to somebody about this that actually will be on the show next week, but. We have this perceived notion, and and it's almost like a transactional relationship that we have with, with the show. Not you and I necessarily, because we've we've known each other at least a couple years now, mm -hmm. which is really good. I'm really thankful for that. But like, 
as a person sitting at a bar and then a bartender kind of sharing, it's very transactional and you only get, you know, one layer into somebody. And the fact is like, there are some fucking incredible personalities True. around us, man. You never True. even get to know what they've went through. Yeah. And just to have these conversations with people and stuff, not only is it cool and just amazingly uh, therapeutic to just sit and have a nice spirit. Cause we're not getting fucking tanked. We're just like sitting yeah, yeah, and yeah, enjoying yeah, sure. it. You know, there's something about that that I feel like brings us all closer. I hope so. Yeah. Anyway, you know, well, might the, you be know, naive, next time, but... next time I, you know, next time I run into one of these people, you know, on the street or something, I'm going to say hi and, and know more, a little yeah. bit more about them than feel I feel closer. Right. It's, it's cool. It is so cool, man. It's cool. I I've, I've really enjoyed it. And you know, I, I can't, I don't think we would have been on the same path if I couldn't bounce stuff off of you and do sanity checks with you, John. Honestly, I've been, you know, in and out of multiple projects, whether it's another gin or whether it's Satol. Um, in a sense, you've been a really, really good grounding body for me, and it's helped me get clear and understand what I needed to do next and which products oh, to right do, on, man. man. So. I really appreciate that. And, you know, I knew we both were guitarists. <laughs> <laughs> There's I a mentality. There's totally a mentality. There's a totally. You kind of see someone walking down the street and you give them the stink eye a little bit. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You but know. luckily I don't feel threatened because I was always playing like disjointed math rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you definitely, uh, it's funny how many people come from music into this industry. Yeah. It's really kind of bizarre, actually. It is. And that's the thing that's almost like the underlying theme to it all is like, no, we're all just from art yeah. and we come into this industry, you know? Yeah. I think it taught, I think music taught me to be in this business. You have to be, I mean, I don't know what it is like on the other sides of this business, but in my side of the business, you have to be a, you have to be a self goer. I mean, yeah. you have to, yeah. no one's going to hand it to you. You got to go do it yourself. So music you know no one no one handed me a guitar and said here you can play now right so you know in this business you have to wake up and and design and figure out how you're going to get this figured out because no one's going to hand it to you so yeah music music provided me with that ability to to at least wake up and have to be a self-starter every day yeah it was it's a big deal it's an amazing tool and it bonds so much of us together man yeah yeah so I, you know, I thank you for sharing the the rum and thank Jake no, for sending you. it to you. And it's been a good time. Uh, it's been just a pleasure getting to know you. And thanks so much for sitting down and chatting with me. Finally, right? Awesome. Like yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Weeks now, man. So we thanks, made it. John. Thank you. Thanks, man. Well, there we have it, everybody. Would you guys think to hear about John's lush career in guitar playing in Austin and being a songwriter? He gave songwriting up because wine called to him pretty interesting story but not so uncommon you know we we play music for a long time some of us and sometimes it takes us down the right path you think about like jeff boyd touring for so long still chipping away at it think about john giving up songwriting to pursue something maybe more rewarding in wine and spirits and i don't know and i am just a feeble podcast host Someday that's going to go on my LinkedIn, but I'm not quite ready for that. You know, the, the main thing that I, I think that's important, and you probably got this from the conversation with John and I, but it, it really, it takes people like him to elevate the conversation and really reveal honesty and truth in production. Because 
this industry, not to mention production and distribution, it's just a big shit show. Everybody diving in for the cash. And that will create a lot of people doing things for the wrong reasons. A lot of people that will compromise their artistic values and really just sell themselves short. But John and I agree on, if nothing else, that spirits and spirits production is an art and we should treat it as such. So thanks again for listening to Show to V with Mike G. And please keep dancing.